This is Africa Digest. Seventeen hundred hours Central African time. Hello, welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Spomela Lezondi. We are broadcasting live from Johannesburg in South Africa. You can find us on frequency nine six two five kilohertz on the thirty one meter band to Southern Africa. You can also find us on eight zero two and the DSTV audio bouquet. In studio with me is Joala Netulo, who has your news. Wissani Matebula has your economics, and Musibudi Makura has your sport. Let's take a look at the top stories. The student protest turns ugly in Johannesburg as a bus is torched. A large number of uh, Rotarians in South Africa to volunteer their services for the family health campaign at around 120 sites. In economics, Rand Gold Resources says the government of Mali had closed its offices in the capital Bamako over 230 million US dollars tax claim. And in sport, Zambia fans may soon be putting their faith in a local coach in permanent charge of the team. Here's Jala Netulo. She has the news. Thank you, Spumelele. Good afternoon. Starting in South Africa, confrontations between protesting Wits University students and police are continuing, both on the main Wits campus and in the adjacent suburb of Bromfontein in Johannesburg. It's emerged that the students have only set alight one bus. It's not clear if it was a government-subsidized bus or one belonging to the Wits University. Protests by students enter a third week. They are unhappy about Higher Education Minister Bladen Zamande's announcement of a fee increase capped at 8%. Horisane Tsitole is in Bromfontein. It's very tense in the streets of Bramfontein. Patco bus has been charged. Police have been driving around in the Nyala, firing randomly. Students running to different directions. On campus, meanwhile, the Dean of Students has asked student leaders to put forward 20 representatives to meet with management. However, student leaders declined the offer. Sasha Naidu reports. As the main group of protesting students have taken their fight to the streets of Bramfontein, a few small groups have remained on the campus. A large police contingent is currently stationed in front of the Great Hall to prevent students from entering. However, the groups of students who are still protesting on campus are repeatedly attacking police with rocks. The police are retaliating by firing rubber bullets and stun grenades at the students in an attempt to disperse them, but they continue to regroup and forge ahead with their attack. This has resulted in several students, journalists and police officers being severely injured. Ethiopia is now in a state of emergency. The period that began on Saturday will run for six months. The government says this period will be used to enhance security all over the country with the primary aim of cracking down on armed gangs that are destroying property and killing people in the name of anti-government protests. Minister for Information Geta Chu Reda elaborates. What we have now is... A, uh, a totally different uh, sort of uh, occurrence, especially involved armed gangs in many parts of the country, which, has, which are being armed, trained, and, uh, and financed by uh, foreign forces. So uh, this calls for a much more concerted and orchestrated coordination of efforts between and among security forces. So yes, it calls for the deployment of military and federal forces in, in throughout the country, of course, uh, it calls for uh, measures that are meant to address. Uh, it calls for taking measures that are deemed necessary to address this challenge. 
Attackers with automatic weapons killed at least eight people in a town in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo on Sunday. Seven of the dead in Beni were civilians and the other a soldier, according to Army spokesperson Mark Hazuke. Hazuke says the Army had found another body believed to be one of the attackers. The United Nations says more than 700 civilians have been killed near Beni since October 2014, most in overnight raids by rebels carried out with machetes. The government has blamed nearly all the violence there on the Allied Democratic Forces a secretive Ugandan Islamist group based in eastern Congo since the 1990s. And finally, South Africa's President Jacob Zuma is in Kenya for a three-day visit. During his visit, Zuma will hold talks with Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta on a wide range of bilateral issues. Our reporter in Kenya, Sarah Kimani, spoke to Bongani Ngulunga, President Zuma's spokesperson, ahead of the visit. Kenya is the largest trading partner with South Africa outside the SADC region. We have about 60 companies from South Africa that are investing here in Kenya. And so the visit today is to explore areas of uh, close cooperation between South Africa and Kenya. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Africa Digest. You're listening to Africa Digest. Thank you very much, Jolane. Let's start in South Africa now at 17.05 Central African time. A bus has been set alight by protesting with university students in Bromfontein in Johannesburg. The students stopped the bus earlier this afternoon and started hurling stones at the vehicle. A police in Yala has been driving up and down Jarrison Street trying to disperse the crowd of protesters. As protests around the Fees Must Fall campaign continue, economists have warned of far-reaching consequences for the country. Country's economy in the 2016 academic year is, if rather the 2016 academic year is not saved. They say this is going to push up the unemployment rate and also put pressure on some state facilities, particularly the health sector. If a final year medical students who could be assisting in different hospitals next year fail to complete the year, students at different universities are protesting against fee increases and are demanding free education. Free education. More Afrikaner reports. It seems there's no end in sight to the current impasse between students, government, as well as universities on the Feast Must Fall campaign. There are concerns that if the parties involved fail to find each other soon, the 2016 academic year could go to waste. Head of research at NetBank, Mohamed Nala, says a number of areas in the economy will be affected if this happens. There are a whole host of impacts, not just within the academic circles, but in the broader economy, within service deliveries as well, in terms of, uh, for example, medical students that would need to find internships and flow through uh, into our hospitals. So it it is really uh, should be priority number one at this point in time for both parties to find one another, uh, for pragmatic negotiation to resume, uh, and for people to rather move away from these idealistic polar opposites. I mean, at the end of the day, negotiation is all about compromise. Uh, and this is going to have to be both on behalf of government universities as well as students. Nala warns that there will be far-reaching implications and service delivery could be affected. 
that's going to compound the issues around service delivery. Remember, in terms of anyone's longer-term planning, if you're looking at the healthcare sector specifically, uh, they would uh, basically be banking on the fact that they would get a certain number of graduates that would come through in any given year. Uh, and so they would plan their staffing commitments. They would plan their rollout of services and facilities uh, on the back of that. Uh, in the absence of a, a whole host, in fact, effectively a full year worth of graduates that might not wait, make their way into the system, this would compound issues around service delivery. Uh, and what happens? South Africa has seen what happens when we have service delivery falling short is we end up with service delivery protests. Economist at Luhumo Capital, Viv Gavenda, agrees with Nala and says this is going to also affect communities who are in desperate need of certain services. You might find more protests coming from communities that don't have resources coming through with regards to services such as you know, roads and etc. etc. That has been historically an area in which you have more actual protests occurring uh, and that isn't directly affected by the lack of uh, student labor coming into the marketplace uh, at the moment. Uh, that's more likely to be affected by the, the resources being diverted into uh, you know, paying for uh, free university education as opposed to, you know, just because the student hasn't come about uh, to fill a post at a uh, government level. Governor also says there's a need for more doctors in state facilities and that if final year medical students are unable to complete their studies this year, it'll put hospitals under pressure. The skills coming to different sectors, uh, the medical sector, of course, is going to be quite important, especially if you consider just how important medical students are to the public sector because of the uh, fact that they've got to do these, these residencies, etc., in which they are trained, but they also actually assist uh, at, um, you know, in terms of the actual uh, functioning of hospitals and other medical facilities. Morafitaban is reporting them. Now, violent student protests continue to rock tertiary institutions in South Africa. The hashtag Fees Must Fall protests have left the nation divided and the authorities seemingly paralyzed to deal with the demands. This is according to the Institute for Security Studies. These protests have led to injury and even the death of a cleaner following the release of a fire extinguisher at the University of Edwardeshund. Some political leaders have blamed these protests on a third force as the protests fail to die down despite the discussions between the students and the leadership of the institutions and the country. There's been questions on the political leadership vacuum in this matter. Political analyst Dr. Somato Tafigeni tells us more. At this stage, nothing suggests that you would be having a third force as such, but it is quite clear that you do have a coordinated action across campuses some students move from one campus to the other. To that extent, it has a political element, but third force, I wouldn't necessarily rush in that direction because issues being raised are genuine, but tactics may differ. Some of them may be poor. Now, President Jacob Zuma has been highly criticized um, over his uh, leadership or what they call lack of leadership when it comes to this particular issue. Um, uh, t- talk to us a little bit about that, Dr. Figeni, and uh, do you think it's fair that people are saying that um, he has not been leading when it comes to this particular matter? I do think that it would have assisted if we have seen more of him guiding the process because last year a legitimate expectation was created that when things are not resolvable at the level of the minister, then the president would come in and intervene. I do think that a dialogue directly with students 
and some degree of intervention by the president to say, let's explain to each other what is possible and what is not might actually have saved the situation because they are still expecting that if the minister and the university councils fail, the president will come as he did last year. Now, many people have been saying that um, the whole um, fees issue and the protests um, that are behind it are merely just, uh, you know, a manifestation of things that have been bubbling under in the country. Do you believe that um, these protests are almost a mirror of the society that we find ourselves in at the moment, as the police are once again, you know, at the center of these protests and the violence that has been taking place? There is no doubt that what we're seeing is something that has been evolving over time that impacts on the youth. Most of the challenges we have of unemployment, of sex-based violence, HIV-AIDS, poverty, education crisis, impact deeply on the youth on a disproportionate scale. And therefore, it might as well be that this is just a little focal point which is talking to tuition But the bigger problem is all kinds of challenges that face the youth even as they leave the university to join the workforce. Some of them do have small businesses that start and fail because there is not sufficient support. Some of them do leave university and they find themselves that they were better off as SRC leaders instead of the workplace because they may be unemployed for some time. Now, how important is it that another so-called marikana is avoided when looking at uh, some of the violence that has been taking place around this particular protest? I do think that uh, it is absolutely important that a marikana-like situation doesn't recur. And I do think that the police have exercised a degree of restraint being mindful of that particular situation. And uh, it is imperative that they make sure that they avoid anything that would look like a Marikana repeat. That is Dr. Soma Dottafigian. He is a political analyst in South Africa and he was in conversation there with Zekon Hamiso. Meanwhile, the Minister of Higher Education and Training, Dr. Blade Nzimande, issued a statement condemning the disruption of classes and chaotic scenes witnessed at the University of Witwatersrand in Johannesburg. The statement says the university's attempts to continue with the academic program are being held at ransom by irresponsible and disrespectful striking students who intend upon disrupting classes at the university. We will be attempting to get a word from the minister or his office. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. For Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka 
in Yaoundé. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Ngatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It is 17.16 Central African time. You're still listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Please tweet us. We are on Channel Africa 1. Let's go to South Sudan, where more than 1,000 doctors have gone on strike throughout the country. It's in Sudan, rather, protesting low salaries, lack of security, and poor working conditions. James Shimanyula. More than 1,000 doctors have staged a strike throughout Sudan. The strike, according to the doctors, has paralyzed the country's health system. The doctors, through their spokesman, Mohamed Najib, say their strike has been supported by private medical practitioners. Low salaries, lack of security, and poor working conditions prompted the doctors to stage the strike, which they say is to continue until the Khartoum government of President Omar Hassan Ahmed el-Bashir swings into action to improve their salaries and security in general. Mohamed Najib, spokesman for the doctors, has an update on the doctor's strike and the current state of hospitals in Sudan. We have hospitals that uh, cannot provide patients even the essentials of the medical service. Hospitals that don't have available supply of oxygen, emergency and life-saving drugs, even sometimes beds are not available. So we are striking to provide basic services for our patients. We are asking for a law that can protect us during our job. People think that it's the responsibility of the doctor to provide them with the basic uh, services. Mohamed Najib, spokesman for the doctors, says the strike will continue until the Khartoum government deals with the problem raised by the medical fraternity, despite what he described as harassment meted out to some doctors in the country by the so-called secret government agents. The doctors in Sudan are bitterly complaining that the government has always promised to increase their salaries but failed to do so. To attest to the fact that government doctors are paid low salaries, here is Mariam Sadiq, a medical practitioner dealing with the children and vice president of Sudan's opposition in National Uma Party. That was Mariam Sadiq, a Sudan medical practitioner dealing with the children and vice president of the country's opposition in National Uma Party. Latest reports from the Sudanese capital Khartoum say the strike has paralyzed operations in more than 80 government hospitals. The government has acknowledged the strike is taking place, but has not said whether or not it will meet the demands put forward by the striking doctors. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. It is 17.19 Central African time and now people and communities in over 20 countries around the world who are at risk of experiencing human rights violations as a result of their sexuality or gender identity will have access to support from a new fund managed by the Alliance. The fund has been set up to respond to situations or events that threaten personal health and safety or access to HIV services by the gay communities. Across the world, lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender people 
frequently find their rights violated when expressing their true sexual and gender identities. More from Enrique Restoy, Head of Knowledge and International HIV AIDS Alliance. The fund is basically funds available to LGBT organizations and organizations working with the LGBT community, mostly in countries, in a selection of countries, where either the LGBT community uh, is criminalized or they're facing dire human rights situations that uh, constitute a barrier for them to access HIV services. This came about because of the difficulties that we we see in organizations working with LGBT communities to be, a, to be able to support these communities in countries where there is um, widespread homophobia and a restrictive uh, environment for organizations to operate. How are we going to ensure that these funds do indeed uh, go to the right communities or the right people? And also what um, are all the resources that are going to be there going to be used for specifically? That's a very good question. It is indeed a, a rapid response fund. This means that we have to take decisions very quickly about the uh, eligibility of organizations and the merits of the proposals they're making. You know, the Alliance has a track record of um, almost 20 years of working with um, more grants and providing support for organizations in the field to be able to, to carry out the programs. So we're going to apply that expertise to make sure as much as we can that the funds are used by mostly LGBT organizations in the countries where uh, it is most needed, their support is most needed, and to organizations that actually support the LGBT community. On the African continent, what are some of the countries that uh, will be a beneficiary to, to this fund? A large number of countries in sub-Saharan Africa are eligible to uh, have access to the, to the funds. There is a little bit of combination of countries where the LGBT community is criminalized by law and countries where there is a um, high level of homophobia. But we also um, made sure that there is a connection between the situation of the LGBT community and the uh, situation of the HIV epidemic in those countries because this fund is mostly about the intersection between LGBT, LGBT rights, and high levels of uh, HIV prevalence among LGBT communities. When we look at the plight um, of the LGBTI community in as far as homophobia is concerned, are there any stark differences uh, between perhaps you know, homosexuals on the African continent and perhaps Europe or, or similar challenges? No, they really vary a lot. Um, the, I think the, the, the constant, and I think it's important to mention, is that in most countries, the LGBT, the LGBT community uh, will face challenges. The challenges vary. Obviously, it is very different to uh, live in a, com- in a country where homosexuality, for example, is criminalized, where, um, you know, the, the basically being perceived as homosexual could mean uh, prison sentences for you, as opposed to countries where the real problem is, is, you know, widespread homophobia or discrimination in the workplace. But they, all countries have this situation uh, um, in in different degrees. You have uh, countries with very, very progressive legislation, mostly, for example, in across Latin America, where there are 
very important legal protections to um, the sexual diversity, and yet you have the highest level of violence against um, transgender people and um, gay men um, across the world, you know, compared to the rest of the world. So this is just an example of how challenges really manifest themselves themselves differently. In Africa, we have in, and I, I really wanted to generalize, but there is a number of countries where there's a combination of both laws that restrict the exercise of sexual orientation and gender identity chosen by people, and also um, widespread social rejection of the LGBT community. Enrique Restoy is head of knowledge at the International HIV AIDS Alliance, talking to Komuto Mupulane. Thousands of music and food lovers gathered at the Kalame Grand Prix circuit in Johannesburg, South Africa, for the delicious International Food and Music Festival this past weekend. The event featured international acts such as Arrested Development, Macy Gray, Huma Segela, and the Jacksons, amongst others. Channel Africa's Atlanta Matlangwe attended the festival and other events and filed this report. This year's DSTV Delicious Festival was held over a two-day period at the Kayalami Grand Prix circuit and amongst the headliners were the Jacksons. Festival director Lord Cornwell says it took two years to bring the Jacksons to South Africa. We've been talking to the Jacksons for nearly two years and it's taken hundreds of hours of negotiation to bring the Jacksons to South Africa. Uh, They're on a world tour at the moment and I don't think I've ever been so excited to bring one artist to this country in my life. The talent for Delicious is very much, it's a passion thing. We talk with our partners, we talk amongst ourselves. And I know, you know, if you look at that, the track list, you know, those are some of the records that are the backbone of the musical landscape of South Africa. I want you back, want to be starting something, Billie Jean, Beat It, ABC, Heartbreak Hotel. This country was built on music like that. The festival also had a decadent food market offering the finest foods and delicacies, great gourmet chef food and restaurants. Amongst the exhibitors was Busibudi Mahato from Yamama Khemere. We started this business about six years ago and when we started it we were doing it on a part-time basis until recently we decided to take it on full time. Basically we took our mother's recipe to commercialize it and we pioneered in the industry the concentrate format of Ikhamer. This is our first time at DSTV Food Delicious. It's been great, it's been amazing. Um, we have seen a cross board of um, target markets. We usually um, consider certain target market as our target market. And, but here we will manage to cover everybody. Linnell Samuel is from Chili Chef Gourmet Truck Food. It's the first time we've brought taken the delicious. We've only had the truck two months now. They love it. Our bunnies and our burgers are the best things. Today it's lamb burgers and it's lamb bunnies. Mashadi Mashiane is from Kama Street Food. Absolutely awesome. It's awesome. And I think also the name, street food. So everyone is like, okay, they know street food from international uh, market food being street food. So it's been really interesting because I took a walk around now and I realized that nobody else is doing it as we do it. And also it's the branding, it's also the setup of our kitchen, also the workmanship and also the quality that we serve and the taste, the flavor. 
We awesome. Last weekend also saw the South Sea playing for Pink Ladies Invitational Polo Tournament, an event aimed at raising funds for the Reach for Recovery's Dito project, an initiative that benefits women from low-income groups who wish to undergo reconstructive surgery after suffering from breast cancer. More from event organizer Edith Fenter. Well, I mean, this year's playing for Pink. It's been around Pink Circus, and you saw the lovely entertainment. You saw what happened. Um, so we brought the circus element into it. You look around, everybody's dressed in pink, whether you're a man, a woman, whatever, you've got pink on. And, you know, that's what it's all about. It's to raise money and awareness for reach recovery. This past weekend also saw media and various celebrities also converge at the Gold Reef City theme park for your treasure hunt, where they had to decode clues, navigate and solve riddles found at various sites at the theme park. More from Lionel Chetty, Promotions and Events Manager at Gold Reef City. Gold Reef City has a long history of providing a unique combination of educational, historical and leisure attractions to the city of Johannesburg. Gordie City is an entertainment destination in the south of Johannesburg and it's characterized by a unique combination of nostalgia and thrilling entertainment. I don't think there's any way in South Africa or in the rest of the world, if I could say that, uh, where one could experience a world-class theme park the historical significance of an apartheid museum. We also have a theme park, um, which Gold Reef City is famous for. Um, it's the biggest in the country, and it offers an exciting assortment of uh, thrill rides and major rides for the whole family. That was Lionel Chetty, Promotions and Events Manager at Gold Reef City, reporting for Channel Africa. I'm Tlantla Matlangu in Johannesburg. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Time for news headlines. Here's Joala Netola. Thank you, Spumelele. Making headlines in South Africa, confrontations between protesting Wits University students and police are continuing on the on both the main campus of Wits and the adjacent suburb of Bromfontein in Johannesburg. Ethiopia is now in a state of emergency. The period that began on Saturday will run for six months. And finally, attackers with automatic weapons killed a clear state people in a town in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo on Sunday. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo.
Thank you very much, Olani. Your time is 17.31 Central African time. Now, a large number of Rotarians in South Africa will, from this coming Wednesday, volunteer their services for a free family health campaign at around 120 sites across the country. Civil society, big businesses, government and municipalities will team up to promote health family living through a massive annual campaign dubbed the Rotary Family Health Days. The public-private partnership, which is in its fourth year this year in South Africa, Africa will run over three days. More from Sue Paggett, who is the Southern Africa Program Director of Rotary Family Health Days. We're very excited about the Rotary Family Health Days and the big picture means that we aim to save and improve the lives of children and families who lack access to preventative health care and education. In South Africa this year, we are hoping to serve over 100,000 people from disadvantaged communities throughout all nine provinces at over 100 sites over three days in South Africa. And these typically are community members who may fall between the cracks to care. And we do this through a public-private partnership with RIFA, a Rotary Action Group, with the Rotary Clubs throughout South Africa, with the National Department of Health, Provincial Department of Health and District Department of Health, with the SABC Foundation and Caxton as our media partners and with a number of private sector partners as well. And the objective of this entire campaign is to reach 5 million people by 2020. Tell us about the healthcare services you'll be offering and are there specific areas that you're targeting? Absolutely. Elizabeth, in our partnership with National Department of Health, the agreement is that they bring a core set of services to each of the 100 sites throughout South Africa. And these typically include HST services, which covers HIV counseling and testing, TB screening, blood pressure and diabetes screening, distribution of contraceptives, inoculations, deworming, cancer screening and MMC on some sites. And importantly this year, there will be a lot of information at each site directed at girls and young women in line with the newly launched She Conquers campaign, which was launched by the Deputy President of our country. And then Rotary typically brings what we call add-on services unique to each site. So that could be dentistry or optometry. It could be basic hand-washing skills, mental health awareness and education, and really just a whole string of add-on services. Also this year, we are doing hepatitis B and C education at all 100 sites. And then we do have um, at some key testing sites around the country, screening and testing and referral for hepatitis B and C. Let's go back a bit and talk about some of the challenges that last year's campaign was confronted with. How do you plan to deal with them this time around? Sure. Yes, I think, you know, with a campaign as massive as this with such huge partners, there are definitely challenges. And I think when one's bringing these two huge organizational structures together, being Department of Health and Rotary, the challenge is definitely driving the campaign communications outwards because really we can do what we need to do at a strategic level, but the success of the program definitely lies within the community, the Department of Health at district and sub-district level and with the Rotary clubs themselves. So 
really the strengthening of these communications is an ongoing challenge, but there is no doubt that the facilitation is resulting in stronger relationships and communications at all levels, and it's getting stronger and stronger as we work together. So, you know, we are making huge strides, and, you know, these two organizations at this level have not necessarily worked together before. So not only are we serving people, but we believe that we are building the fabric of our society by people learning to work together and learning about each other's strengths and weaknesses. Do you have the same campaign running in other African countries also? How far-reaching has the campaign been in these countries? The answer to that is yes, we do. The genesis of this campaign happened some seven years ago in Uganda, where Rotary leader said that he wanted to start these Rotary Family Health Days. And they had an unbelievably successful year. And from that, the health day spread to Kenya, Nigeria, and Ghana, and then came to South Africa some four years ago. So as RIFA, we are certainly looking to expand further into Africa. As we look for private sector partners, we look for Rotary buy-in from local Rotary leadership and, of course, buy-in from governments. So, yes, we are expanding hugely into Africa and we have also just completed a very successful Rotary Family Health Day in India. So, you know, we are hoping from a, a Rotary point of view that this does become a global initiative. Now, the campaign kicks off this coming Wednesday. Are there plans to ensure that the effects of the campaign are felt long after the volunteers go home? Absolutely. I think one of the most important outcomes of the campaign is sustainability. And I think RIFA, together with National Department of Health and CDC, have developed very strong monitoring and evaluation tools, which include data collection at each site, and we will be running a further three-month impact study We are constantly working in partnership to establish link to care for the clients that come to the health days. And I think most importantly from a Rotary perspective, local Rotarians work and live in these communities are there long after the campaign has ended. And they are able through community relationship building and with other partners to then support in a whole lot of different ways. And some of the outcomes from the Rotary Family Health Days over the years have been donations of mobile clinics in some areas into communities, donation of containers to build libraries or community centres, educational materials such as library books, sometimes just the volunteer manpower to assist where needed in these communities. I think the sustainability is there and can only grow from strength to strength. The 20th Poetry Africa 2016 International Festival got underway in the South African port city of Durban. The five-day event brings together some of the world's finest poets and musicians from the African continent and beyond. The program includes seminars, workshops, poetry, competitions, open mic opportunities, campus invasions, and school visits. More from the director of the Center for Creative Arts at the University of KwaZulu-Natal, David Wamatlamela. Poetry Africa International Festival is a festival that started 20 years ago with the leadership of 
AD Donker, then Peter Rovick. So this year we are going to be celebrating that 20 years of the festival and we will equally celebrate the bicentenary of the Zulu Nation which will be led by Prince Mangositu Gutelezi. Simultaneously we will be declaring the entire week Mazisi Kunene Week whereby we will honor the legacy of this stalwart who was the first national poet laureate of the country. It has been 20 years since its inception. How has the journey been? It has been an interesting thing because growth has has been vivid. It has managed to attract big names in the poetry landscape nationally and continentally and beyond. I mean, you think of all the big names in the African poetry milieu, people like Wali Suyinka, Chinua Achebes have raised the stage of this festival and it went even beyond. It names, I mean, I'm thinking of the likes of those who is the U.S. National Poet Laureate, and of course the likes of Mazisu Kunani. From legendary poets, the festival features an extensive schools program. Just please elaborate on that. This is the most essential part of the festival because throughout the week poets will be going to different schools giving workshops, motivational talks, master classes and this is mainly under represented uh, parts of the Durban and beyond. I mean, we go as far as the Lutuli Museum, where we will also have the cultural exchange. Learners from all schools submitted their work, and during the festival, they will be awarded uh, both in English and Isizulu. So it's one of the greatest part of the festival. Why did you feel it's important uh, to involve schools in the festival? You will agree with me that there is no way that you can think about development of any country without thinking of youngsters. Education becomes the tool in that process of equipping them with whether the voice, whether the outlook, and also molding them. So to us, poetry is not just limited to wordplay, but it's about imparting ideas, imparting principles which can help um, the youngsters to grow positively. Since it started, how many African countries have you been able to reach? I'm not sure if you are ready for this. We have Nigeria, we have Ghana, we have Mexico. It's not limited to South Africa. We have uh, Senegal, we have uh, Cameroon, Morocco, we have Zimbabwe, Burkina Faso, then Uganda, the entire country. So you're going to have a competition awards for the schools. When is the event? We had this competition way before the festival. So who submitted the work of their learners and our panels went through this work and they already made the selection of the winners. So on Friday evening, we are going to be awarding the winners. For people who have never attended this festival, what should they expect? It is a platform of many voices. It is a platform that celebrates above all life. It gives essence to life. It gives variety of solutions or possible solutions to challenges facing human life in general. This is a platform where life is celebrated. That's David Wa Matlamela, the director of the Creative Center for Creative Arts at the South African University of KwaZulu Natal, talking to Sihe Zuma.
Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's time for your economic news with Wissane Matebula. Good evening. Thanks. As Pumelele Gold Render Resources uh, says the government of Mali had closed its offices in the capital Bamako over a 320 million US dollar tax claim that the South African gold producer is contesting. The company says it's disappointed at Bamako's move. Rand Gold also noted that the International Center for Settlement of Investment Disputes had recently awarded $29.2 million plus costs to its Lowulo operation for Texas, which uh, the center found the Malian government had wrongly collected. Mali is of strategic importance for the group, which also has a gold mine in Ivory Coast and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Last year, it posted net profits of $189 million. As protests around the fees must fall campaign continue in South Africa, economists have warned of far-reaching consequences for the country's economy if the 2016 academic year is not saved. Head of research at NetBank, Mohamed Nala, says this would push up the unemployment rate and put pressure on some state facilities, especially hospitals. There are a whole host of impacts, not just within the academic circles, but in the broader economy, within service deliveries as well, in terms of, uh, for example, medical students that would need to find internships and flow through uh, into our hospitals. So it it is really, uh, should be priority number one at this point in time for both parties to find one another, uh, for pragmatic negotiation to resume, uh, and for people to rather move away from these idealistic polar opposites. I mean, at the end of the day, negotiation is all about compromise, uh, and this is going to have to be both on behalf of government, universities, as well as students. 
Meanwhile, South Africa has selected two local consortia as uh, the preferred bidders to develop the first privately built coal-fired plants in Africa's most industrialized economy. South Africa is in a race to boost the electricity supply and avoid power cuts that have in the past had business and eroded its appeal as an investment destination. The projects had the backing of foreign developers from Korea, Japan, Saudi Arabia and South African banking sector. To North Africa and Egypt, Saudi Aramco has uh, informed the Egyptian General Petroleum Corporation, which is Egypt's state oil company, that it will hold the supply of refined oil products to Egypt. Traders say that Egypt has not received October allocations for petroleum aid from Saudi Arabia, forcing its state oil buyer to rapidly increase tenders, even amid a severe dollar shortage and growing areas to oil producers. The state-owned oil company plans to allocate more than 500 million US dollars to purchase petroleum products. Meanwhile, Egypt's annual urban consumer price inflation has eased to 14.1% in September from an eight-year high of 15.5% in August. Headline inflation jumped in August, raising expectations that the central bank would hike interest rates on September 22nd. But the central bank held rates citing transistory factors factors uh, that pushed up uh, costs. September's fall is the first in the urban measure since March. Inflation has been rising steadily in Egypt since April, and economists are expected uh, to keep rising as the North African country implements an overhaul that includes subsidy cuts and devaluing its currency, the pound. Financial indicators, the US dollar trading at 13.84, South African rents 10.41, Botswana Pula 9.90, Zambian Guacha. Also trading at 0.80 to the British pound and 0.89 against the euro. Commodities, gold $1,263, platinum $968 per finance, Brent crude oil at $51.48 per barrel. And that's your economics news for now. Thank you very much, Usani. Your sports news now with Musibuti.
Good evening, sports fans. And starting off with football news, Zambian fans may soon be putting their faith in a local coach and permanent charge of the senior national team. Zambian President Edgar Lunga has told the Football Association to employ a local coach for the national team. The Football Association of Zambia have been looking to employ an international coach and even conducted interviews for the position. Former South African coach Gordon Egerson was tipped for the job after impressing in interviews. Lunga also offered his support to um, interim Shipolopolo coach Wetsin Yarenda, who was appointed as a replacement for George Lawanda Mina last month. That assessment comes after Zambia's 2-1 defeat by Nigeria in their opening 2018 World Cup qualifier on Sunday. Lungu also remains optimistic about Zambia's chances of booking their place at the tournament in Russia in 2018. Once well, on football news, the South African under-17 men's national team known as Amajimbos were held to a goalless draw by a determined China side in the BRICS under-17 football cup played on Sunday at the Blomabil Stadium in Goa, India. It was a must-win game for China who had already lost two of the games while South Africa were playing the second match. South Africa now has four points after two games while China is sitting on just one after three matches. Russia has six after two wins in two games and Brazil registered a victory in the one match they have played thus far. Amajimbos will um, will next face Brazil on Tuesday with kickoff set for 12.30pm Central African time in the afternoon while China will take on India in a match later in the day. On to athletics, um, local athletics news, Yvette Van Sale employed an aggressive approach to win the Spa Women's 10-kilometer race in Johannesburg on Sunday, allowing her to seal the series win. It was the first time since 2012 that an athlete has been able to duplicate Renee Kalmer's feat by winning four of the five Spa Women races. Van Sale's dominance led to her winning the Spa Grand Prix series for a second time. She was victorious in Cape Town, Port Elizabeth and Durban, allowing her to secure the series in Johannesburg. She could not race in Pretoria due to an injury. Here she is speaking about her performance in yesterday's race. Well, today I know what I had to do to win the Grand Prix, so that was the main goal, but at the start I was trying to figure out who's who of the Palula twins and I couldn't figure it out. So I decided just to run my own race and uh, moving up to the hill, I decided today I'm just going to do my own race and if they want to catch me, they must come and catch me. And I was a bit overexcited when we got out of the hill and ran the next K a bit fast because I wanted to run a bonus point today. I knew if I ran a bonus point, whatever position I would come, I'd be able to win the Grand Prix. So that was the main goal, to run under 35 minutes. Meanwhile, Mapaseka Makanya, one of South Africa's leading women runners, will compete in the upcoming Shanghai Marathon in China on the 30th of October. She confirmed this after her participation um, at the um, Johannesburg Spa Women's Race after finishing in second position, um, of which this um, race formed part of her preparations for the international race. I'm preparing for Shanghai Marathon, which is on the 30th of October. So this was part of my test runs going to Shanghai. Last last year I came forth in Shanghai. I ran 237. I'm hoping to improve on that. Not I'm hoping, but I will improve on that. And the Zaya Sports News at the South. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
This is Africa Digest. Seventeen fifty-five Central African Time. Let's recap our top stories. Student protests and ugly in Johannesburg. A large number of Rotarians in South Africa to volunteer their services for a free family health campaign at around 120 sites. And that wraps up Africa Digest for today. For myself, as Pomela Lezondi, for this hour, rather, for myself, Pomela Lezondi, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim, and the rest of the team. Thanks for listening. Send us emails info at channelafrica.co.za, tweets to Channel Africa One, SMSs plus 27796957930, plus 27796957930. We leave you with so and Johnny by Naima Kay.